Multiply podcast, conversation aimed to stir, equip and provoke. Interviewing thinkers, practitioners and pioneers as we aim to inspire and equip kingdom people to launch kingdom communities. You can find more resources on the Vineyard Churches website, www.vineyardchurches.org.uk. Well, welcome to the next episode of this podcast. We are delighted to have our national directors of Vineyard Churches UK and Ireland and also the leaders of Trent Vineyard, John and Debbie, with us. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Hello, Paul. Hello, Hello, James. Great to have you. Just uh, aware that this is now listened to quite widely and also because it's with you. Let me just give a little bit of context. Um, John and Debbie lead both locally, nationally and have a huge international impact as well. They've planted multiple churches, pioneered, resourced and seen phenomenal transformation. And you both carry, one thing I personally love is you always have story after story after story of the outworking of Kingdom Impact. So thank you for joining us. I think we're in for a real treat. But can I just jump straight in with with our first question really around culture? we've james and i've both been around you for numerous years a very long time (laughs) and um something we've always seen is you you carry culture quite remarkably and you're brilliant at setting culture and culture is often the container which enables things to happen and i've often now not based in the church you're leading found myself thinking or saying I think John and Debbie might do this or they would probably I I think they might consider it this way and you're not even in the room when I've seen numerous other people say similar I just wondered could you talk us through how have you developed culture so strongly in in the areas that you lead I think such an important thing it's it trumps vision casting it trumps uh, plans and strategizing and everything else. Basically, culture is what you will grow and what you'll reproduce. And it begins with the leader. You were going to say, Debbie, about that? Yeah, I, I was going to say that if it's not something that you inherently carry in yourself, you're going to find it difficult to reproduce. And um, it, Or it's got to be something that you are you genuinely, with, with real integrity, want to live that out. It, mm-hmm. You can't just adopt someone else's culture. You can't just say, I love the way Saddleback or some famous church is doing something and go, we'll do that. That's going to be us because you've got to really own it in your heart. You've got to really want to do it. So if you want your church to be servant hearted, guess what? Uh, The leader needs to be a servant hearted leader or generous or compassionate or the various things that we might want to be. And so I think from the beginning, we've we've tried to live with integrity, living out of who we are and the sense of calling we have for from the Lord in, in terms of what we might be building. And then in terms of sort of communicating culture, it begins with vision casting and communicating kind of the broad strokes of this is who we want to be. This is the direction of the journey we're on with the Lord. This is how we're responding to his lead. It looks broadly like this, but leaving lots of space for people to then deepen that and take on board how they could express that going forward. I, when I think about culture, I think of four things. I think first be it, then model it, then do it, and then release it. And so when I think about when we first started the church, we pretty much had to um, do 
who we were we had to be who we are I mean interesting you were talking about the kingdom and how as people we have to be who we're who we are in Christ we have to start to be that and so in with culture you know if we wanted a church that was generous or servant-hearted we had to be that and we had to begin to model it and do it so blessing the community we literally put little labels on every Mars bar and marathon or whatever they were called in those days yes. and went out with the team and we did it with them and we showed how we wanted people to hear the gospel in a fresh way and those that those things were were very very new in those days of going out and doing something practical like that yeah. or hospitality um, we wanted yeah. to be a church that was radically sort of welcoming you know when you have friends over they're turning up to a meal at your house you don't search through the cupboard for the cheapest coffee in a huge tin you got from a cash and carry and bring that out with some rich tea biscuits you actually put on the best coffee bring out the best you know you might home bake some cookies so from the very outset yeah that's what we did debbie was baking or cooking fudge or whatever and actually laying on the best possible welcome so people who came towards us may have expected something less but it's like wow this they they want me here and they're you know so hospitable in the way they're welcoming me yeah but at the same time if that's you know different people carry hospitality differently i think of one pastor who's practically every room in their house has sofas what that speaks of is that they're they're people who like to have great conversations people feel really relaxed in their house it's a slippers on and the, at the door type of house whereas ours is more puff up the cushions have the the nice cheese and biscuits and and so we have to be authentically ourselves and so you model it and then later on you release it and you let other people take those elements of the culture and work it out through their personality, but they're adopting, let's say hospitality to the best of their ability, they're reproducing that through the church. And then once you've released it, every so often, you wanna sort of explain to people again, why do we have this culture? Because as years would go by, we found at Trent that people were doing things like doing things well was another part of our culture. You know, we want to do things with excellence and we want to do it really well. But for some people, it's like, why do we do this like this? You know, are we are we compromising caring for people because we're we're so perfectionist when it comes to chairs? And we had to then explain to them, why do we do chairs the way we do them? You know, actually it's because we love people, we want them all to be able to see the stage and we want them all to feel comfortable. And so we had to go back and explain and actually articulate what these real important bits of culture were. Things yeah. like, yeah. you know, servant-hearted, outward-looking, compassionate. We put those words, Spirit-led, relationship, Was naturally it? supernatural, these sorts yeah. of things. We started to put, articulate them. Yeah. And then model what we wanted to reproduce. Celebra celebrate what we want to reproduce, but also model what we want to reproduce. So on a Sunday, you'd find us talking to uh, not just the, our friends or the people we know, but probably if somebody comes in who's, you know, an addict has just come out of prison, someone who's homeless, you'll probably find us talking to them as much as talking to, you know, the wealthy person coming in. We're, we're very intentional about being embracing of everybody. And so if someone stops to watch us on a Sunday, they will pick up Ah, it's interesting, isn't it? Who John and Debbie talk to and they're so available to. Yeah. And, and just to, to on, finally on this one, I would say that just recently we're pressing on the pedal of um, racial inclusion in our church, of, of, a, of, of really celebrating diversity. But more than that, um, really embracing the, the, the different uh, racial cultures that we have, ethnic cultures. And, um, and one of those things is that we've, we've 
picked up how important it is to hang out and actually make friends with people who are not of the same race or ethnicity as yourself. And so if we genuinely want this to become part of the culture, guess what, John and I have to start living it. And that's what we've, in the last six months, we have developed you know, friendships, we've been going around for meals, we've been inviting people over who are not the same as us in order to really get to know each other and make deep friendships. But if we don't model it and live it, it won't happen. It won't become come of the, the culture of the church. Brilliant. Can I just pull you up on one thing just to expand a little bit? Because I think it's so true and I see you do it all the time. But just for the sake of some people, just you mentioned about celebrate, celebrating what we want to reproduce. Can you just give us a few examples of, of how you do that? Because that's certainly set yeah. culture. Yeah, what, what you pay attention to grows, and uh, that kind of relates to that. Celebrating what you want to reproduce. So if we have people who are going out on the streets and sharing their faith, what we quite like to do is include a story, perhaps in a Sunday service, of them sharing that, or include that as an illustration in a talk, because people pick up, oh, this is what is celebrated here, and people tend to move in the direction in terms of their behavior of doing what, oh, this is what happens. They walk in our door, and they see servants running around everywhere just taking care of every one of their needs can, would you like a donut a cup of coffee would you like to be seated here can i park your car nicely um and so they pick up okay this is a place where people are engaged as volunteers and it is part of their journey towards that i guess and you know just on on just a story about you know just lately we were we actually were having lunch at a woman's house who's uh she's originally kenyan from kenya grew up on the streets of kenya in in utter squalor and poverty and uh, ends up in this country and she has grown up with some degree of faith but had completely lost it she was walking around nottingham two years ago and saw the chairs laid out for uh, what was a combination of healing on the streets and um, sort of explaining the gospel and praying for people to, that they would come to faith. And um, she had just that morning kind of woken up and said, I'm ready, God, I'm ready. And she saw the seats and this sort of healing sign and she plonks herself on the seats and like, I'm ready. And they end up praying for her. She has an encounter with the Holy Spirit. She turns up at church. Two weeks later, we had a baptism service. I baptized her. And as I put her in the water, there was like a power encounter. It was such a supernaturally powerful event. And she was radically converted. Her life has radically changed and it's affecting her whole family. And, um, and so we were having dinner with her this, well, two Sundays ago. And honestly, the, the, it was so many people were turning up. I mean, it was like, we were outside, there were massive umbrellas because it did rain in the afternoon, but it was almost like, how many people are in this garden? <laughs> and we were eating monumental amounts of um, uh, sort of African, spicy, amazing food. It was for a wonderful event. But again, just one of those stories, if you don't celebrate those things, yeah we don't reproduce them and it doesn't happen oh, i love it just a reflection on culture having also been in john and debbie's church for a while before planting one of one of the interesting things for me was in the first couple of years of having planted when you've come out of an incredibly strong culture you're kind of used to almost reproducing that culture which was was a really healthy thing and i, I and it was fascinating for me it took two or three years to begin to also understand because those are great things you know in terms of servant-heartedness and generosity and compassion absolutely but also beginning to work out the culture that you carry as well yeah. um 
because actually the culture that I carry is quite different. Uh, me and Jen carry is quite different to John and Debbie at the same time. So going, oh, what are some of the, the vineyard DNA, some of the things that we hold dear, but also how's God made us and what's unique? And yeah, it was just, I was just thinking about that in terms of culture. It, it takes a while to work out what you are when you've been in a very, very strong culture. Yeah, it needs, it needs to be authentic to who you are. We're all uniquely called. We're all uniquely wired and shaped. And we need to express you know what god has called us to be the very best of who he has made us and so we can be in a culture like you came from trent and take the best of it and run but some of it like mate i don't care about where the chairs are laid out i mean it couldn't give two hoops to the precision of that but what i love to do is have parties and it's so relational and engaging and that'll... so you know you'll build a different church to trent and that's what you're called to do a different uh, a different thing yeah, yeah I, I do think part of leadership is you have to analyze, don't you? you have to analyze and you have to reflect on the why you would take some cultural values and discard others. And that's what leaders have to do. But you have to be confident that the Lord's called you to go to a certain place. And, and also you've got to respect some of the cultures of the situation you're in. You know, are you in an are you have you been called to minister amongst the poor? Are you called to a different ethnic uh, culture. I mean, where are you? Where are you being placed? Because some of what you need to be as a church is embrace some of the culture that's around you. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a really important um, issue, and it's it's an art. It's there's yes. an, you can't just take some one two three four of culture of something else and adopt it. Yeah, because people sniff out inauthenticity, don't they? Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's when you're trying to be something that you're not. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, that just doesn't, mm, that doesn't feel quite right, does it? And you, that's what gets found out when you try and imprint something on a culture. And you're like, we're just going to take that and put it into this culture. It's like your culture can't carry this thing that you're trying to do. Yeah. Very and, um, yeah. Um, that's really helpful. I just wanted to change tack slightly. One of the things that we've been looking at in leadership, pioneering, planting is formation for the sake of mission. And it's this idea that and, and actually we're seeing it during COVID is that as leaders, that our roots have to be pretty deep with the disruption that we're feeling with the change in every moment. Um, what is the formation that we're standing on? My, my wife, Jen, uses this phrase that it's like, we've got to keep our house standing <laughs> first and foremost, but it's not just for ourselves. It's for the sake of mission is that we want to see our cities change. We want to see our towns changed. Um, but I think we've experienced pivotal leadership moments. And I know that I have, and, I, and I'm sure that you have. I'm just wondering whether you could share a couple of pivotal leadership moments, maybe one during the pandemic, maybe one from before that have just... Um, really change things and within your culture but also have shown the formation that's going on as well um, i was a jeweler for about eight years in terms of training and then i used to make jewelry and design jewelry and i was pretty good at it and i did a disc test it told me of the 34 words it gave me actually two perfectionist perfectionist specialist so in other words i was ideally suited to being a jeweler and then the Lord called me to pastoral ministry. And as a perfectionist, I was trying to do everything well. And I did a, a few things well, but there came a point 30 something years ago when I just, everything I touched turned to, how should we put this? Something other than gold. And so I felt I was absolutely <laughs> was failing. failing that was beautifully put, Joe. I couldn't do anything well. And I remember photographically where I was seated. I know whose home it was. 
in this lounge in a little tiny staff meeting, just simply breaking down in tears and saying, I can't do this. I'm kind of, I'm giving up control, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, Lord, whatever, I'm just going to serve you, but I can't do this well. And that was a key breaking moment of a perfectionist. Now, you guys know me well, and you know that my standards have always continued to be high, but I don't think I'm now a perfectionist. I'm a broken perfectionist. And I realized at that moment that I had to do okay, but give things away to others. And so this, you know, basically John Mumford kept putting more on my plate. That's who I was serving there. He led the Southwest London Dominion. Just put more on the plate, but without any sort of resource to take anything else off it, it was just simply pile it on. So it was really a delegate or die type of training and I realized to do this well I don't have to do it and I don't have to be the one it doesn't have to always be to my standards but I've got to empower other people to be released into their calling to do what they're called to do and I think you know back then we didn't have the language of spiritual formation but I I look at that and I talk I think about you know the call to surrender and you realize that that in leadership, it, it's it's not actually an upwardly mobile uh, feeling of, of becoming more powerful. You're actually in a journey of surrendering and embracing humility. And for John, where he could feel, uh, I could see he took great pride in his, in his pieces of jewelry. And all of a sudden he was having to work through other people and things were not gonna look as good or as perfect as according to his standards. And it's a process of surrendering and you, you know, you bring your complete self to the Lord and your broken self and it, and, and you realize he's going to use it. He's going to take your leadership and he's going to do something wonderful, but you will always look at it and go there for the grace of God. Uh, this is the Lord did this. I, I didn't do it myself. Uh, we, we just can't do it ourselves. Um, but I also think, John, why don't you tell them also about rest? And then I'll talk about the crisis moment of COVID. OK, so, yeah, I was always a hard worker and there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of my wiring. But some people might have accused me of being a workaholic. I have said, no, no, I don't. I'm not addicted to work. I just am very responsible and there's lots to be done. But I was probably working too hard through most of my life. But I did many years ago, uh, I guess about six years ago, probably start to engage with this as we took on the national role as well as the local role you know, two big pizzas on our plate. And I thought to survive this, I've got to understand this issue of emotional, healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy spirituality, and also the issue of rest and actually how you get more done when you have a balanced life. So uh, I've engaged with hobbies and with rest and all that. I used to think, I'm just going to serve the Lord like the Apostle Paul. I'm kind of going to burn out for the gospel and hopefully just collapse on my last day having spent myself on behalf of the kingdom but I've realized to get to that last day not prematurely you've got to balance your life family life with rest with you know emotional replenishment and so watching those gauges of emotional spiritual and physical have become very important to me because I could have just gone under physically with exhaustion or something like that but I think I'm a lot more effective as a husband, father, pastor, national director, because I've got my life really uh, intentionally balanced in those areas. Yeah, and those, those have been lessons along the way. I think in, when it comes to spiritual formation in leadership, I think we did a, 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 we spent time with the kind of going on an Ignatian 
spirituality journey. And uh, he talks a lot about indifference. And I used to think indifference sounded a lot like not caring. And it isn't that at all. It's being prepared to put that thing that you're burdened with and that you care deeply about to actually say, do you know something, Lord, your way, which includes resting and resting your mind as well as your body is more important uh, than carrying the burden. And, and, you know, when Jesus says, don't worry, he literally commands us not to worry. To me, it was like, oh, that's all very well said. That's all well said and done and blah, de, blah. And I used to sort of dismiss it and continue to worry. But there came a breaking point where if I took all these worries on, I would just not survive and I would not yeah. be able to fulfill my calling. Yeah. And I had to embrace, like, I've done what I can. I'm now going to totally lay this before the Lord. He knows I care deeply. And now I'm going to walk away with a feeling of it's not mine to carry. And that became a discipline that initially was really hard. And it's definitely got easier. I'm not saying it's always easy, but it's definitely got easier over time. Um, but then, James, you did ask about this kind of COVID moment. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. And I, I think one of the things we realized that was pivotal, um, which, which in a sense contradicts John's first story, which is that, you know, on a normal journey of leadership, you are giving things away and you're letting other people take responsibility. You're developing other leaders around you and you're letting them run with vision and releasing them such that you're not carrying everything and dying over mm. doing too much. However, what we realized, having never really faced a crisis as big as COVID, and of course, many pastors will uh, absolutely identify with this, yes. Um, we found ourselves in a moment where we had to relinquish power. We had to take control. No, the opposite. Sorry, we had to actually really, sorry, step in. Step in. I mean, with... yeah, I've used the wrong word, relinquish. I mean, take it back. Take <laughs> back power. We had to take back the control and the reins and be at the helm of something with our key senior leadership team. And between us, the 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 small group um, that that is of how many are we in that group? About seven or eight. Nine. We're nine of us. Okay, so there's nine of us. But nine of us um, were actually suddenly making all the decisions. And it was decisions about spacing of chairs. And, you know, like you're, you're making decisions about timing of, of service where we've been at this when we were three physical services. What are we going to do when we're going to go online? I mean, things that we had. The physical stage <laughs> set with its lighting when we did it, you know, or recording from home yeah, or going online. It was practical things that we've never had to yeah. uh, we haven't had to engage with for years and years and years all of a sudden you know how were our staff if they did come in when when let's say it got to summer and people you know what what sort of screens are going to separate them from the others what what timing are some going to how many going to be in the building at the same time i mean we needed to understand all these things that were immensely practical mm. and it was very frustrating for some people uh, who would be used to just being able to get on and get on with what they were going to do and have their own ideas. All of a sudden, we were putting um, rules and regulations around everything. And then trying to maintain morale when all we could do is engage with people in two dimensions on a screen, a Zoom screen, leading a team through that was Which, a challenge, you know, for their own well-being. But um, it was a pivotal, we, we used that word, as did many, right at the beginning, we need to pivot. Agile leadership is what will get us through this in good shape. And so we spent on that first Monday of the week, in fact, the day that Boris Johnson at 5 p.m. announced we're going into lockdown straight away. Uh, we had spent 10 hours that day in Zoom calls. On a, no, no, physical. We had a physical meeting and we made all these plans 
and then he announced it and we tore all the plans up instantly and many more hours of meetings had to happen. But that was the ability to say, okay, we'll pivot, to be resilient and to say, okay, we need to be agile as opposed to hold on to any sort of plans. But it was a weird thing, as you say, darling, to step in and have to take back some of the control that we well, had delegated. Like all the control. It felt like it. We, we suddenly needed to steer this from the helm. We need to, okay, we'll take the wheel now. And with those closely around us, make hopefully forge some good decisions. Do, do you feel that that's changed now? Do you know what I mean? Like in terms of, because I, I would have experienced the, the same feeling and, and emotion of having to step in, you know, 16 months into this new season, how yeah. would you say that your leadership styles change? What, how are you having to lead in this moment? We've reverted back to the better form of leadership, which is to release everything that we don't have to do or comment on. So mm. we've empowered a subgroup to work out what they're going to do with chair spacing and social distancing and yeah. singing and I think we, we, had, we had a whole number of meetings that while we were on lockdown, uh, we had we had what, what we called a, a Sunday meeting, just specifically about what was happening on Sundays. And a couple of weeks ago, we said, we don't need to be in that Sunday's, we don't need a Sunday's meeting anymore. We can have it far less, you know, someone can have it less often and report it now into our normal timings of what were the senior leadership uh, meetings. So, you know, we've changed back in, in certain areas yeah. and only bring a, a couple of crucial conversations. Um, yeah, so empowering as much as we yeah. possibly can now, but yeah, you're right to point yeah. that out. But, but also, interestingly, during this season, we've seen with greater clarity um, who, who are our next tier of leaders. You know, it's like you can you see who's emerged in this time, uh, who needs to be listened to uh, in greater measure and, and who needs to influence the vision as we go forward. And so again, as you, even as we come out, we're, you know, we're kind of restructuring or looking towards what will that look like and what, how we implement a new structure as we go forward. We just chat about that a bit further because I think, you know, the, the uh, the body's only going to grow as large as the skeleton. And you, over many years, COVID aside, have been real releasers and empowerers of people building teams and leaders and a blend of personalities allowing for quite high-functioning teams, raising leaders over multiple generations. What what does that look like? What would be some of the tips or advice to, you know, building teams, raising leaders, those kind of things? Well, to begin with the realization that we need others, you know, if you're a bit of a solo act, you'll only achieve a very small amount. But in, in engaging with others uh, and drawing them in, we have a good awareness of our strengths and our weaknesses. We're quite different from each other. Uh, we share often the same view of something, but sometimes it's diametrically opposite. But we've known the benefit of including around us people who are very different from us, who have different strengths and different weaknesses, and where their strengths exceed ours, which as they much as possible, <laughs> we'd love them to. Uh, we're not surrounding ourselves with yes people, we're surrounding ourselves with people who've got really differing views and can assert them. Uh, we found that, you know, great decisions are forged. The best decisions are forged. And, you know, like if you're going to make a beautiful thing out of iron, you need to heat it up and hit it repeatedly and heat it again. And sometimes our, our you know, senior team meetings are a bit like that because... <laughs> We're bringing different perspectives yeah, because we yeah. want the very best decisions made. And as a result, that's great because some people look at leaders and say, oh, you know, you need to be decisive. You need to arrive at that meeting. You know what you want, you know where you're going and you need to be able to 
you know, envision people to get behind what you want to do. Uh, but the truth is ownership really comes much more strongly and the best decisions come not from being a decisive leader, but from being an attentive leader who listens and allows their own views to be shaped. I, I think there's a conviction that we carry, which is that we've not just been um, invited or commissioned by the Lord to build a church, but to build people to encourage and release people into their callings. And I love what Carol Wimber shared, and we played it on a wonderful film with an interview that John did with Carol and a few others. And she talks about, you know, take your place. And I think I feel a deep conviction that our job is to uh, invite people to take their place. And, and that, that really is important. And whatever size church we're building, we really believe that people need to step into the moment they're in, the time in history and their calling. And so it's exciting to, to give things away and invite people in. And so, you know, I find myself constantly looking around the church, noticing people and then asking people questions about, have you, you know, what is that person involved in something? Is that person doing something? What do you see on that person? And then to, to my pleasant surprise, more often than not, the same person that I've spotted, someone else has already got them under their wing. Mm -hmm. And that gives me real pleasure because it, it, that says to me the culture of our, of our leadership is one that is also looking out for those people. And we've, we've spotted the same people. We've got our eye on them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think team, team members, um, it's really helpful for the overall leader to have a sense of direction, some clarity of where we're heading at some sense of what the culture is. And, and so the parameters are sort of set, but for team leaders to be part of that, they're part of something that's going somewhere, but they're released and empowered to use their gifting with some autonomy within that overall uh, vision. I think is very empowering for them. People wanna be on a team where they are taken seriously and they're empowered and released to run with their gifting and their particular areas of responsibility. One of the things that I've, I've noticed is, is in terms of the ability to be able to manage conflict in teams. Sorry, just I was just thinking about team building and a conversation that we were having before this was around, you know, in this COVID moment of having to take control or step back in, but also needing those nine people who are in that smaller group to, to make decisions and being able to deal with the tension that arises in different environments. I just wonder whether you could speak into that for a moment in terms of how do you let conflict, healthy conflict occur, but then I, I guess the other thing that I'd, I've noticed about you is letting the voice of the Lord come into that moment as well and break in. I just don't know whether you had any kind of helpful thoughts on that. You know, I think it, there's, there's pros and cons to the conflict journey, isn't there? Because if conflict isn't handled well, and seen through, it can create just lots of um, weird stuff behind the scenes. And, and I won't, don't wanna say that we've done this perfectly along the way, but I think what we have been are a couple of people who are, we understand conflict because we are both so different. So we live with conflict all the time in the leadership. And instead of John saying, I don't want you to speak Debbie, it's like, uh, he, I'm invited. I'm welcomed. We we share this together. Together we set and the so, stage so that our team know. Okay, it's okay to disagree. Yeah, with. and and obviously those who've worked really closely with us will see that dynamic happen a lot. So if if we can handle conflict, which doesn't mean that behind the scenes we're all of a mess, 
Mm. Uh, which is like, you, you know, you realise when you work with us over a few years that, that there's plenty of conflict and it doesn't affect our marriage. It doesn't affect the basics of the stability of our leadership, but that we welcome conflict and difference of opinion. And therefore, if we can do it, other people on our team can do it to us and with us. Um, so I think that, first of all, it's like a, a culture of welcoming conflict. Can I just comment yeah. on there's different types of conflict. And so to be clear, ideological conflict conflict we strongly encourage uh relational conflict we don't like okay so in a team meeting if you disagree bring it bring your view don't hold back and then have a quiet conversation in a corridor where you criticize the decisions that were made bring it every bit of it of your disagreement on an ideological issue mm. okay but then relationally what we don't do is get nasty and raise our voices to each other and say mean things and anything like that that would be we would have to censure that sort of behavior but on the whole that's never really happened in no our no but i i do think that sometimes one bears on another doesn't it and that's where com conflict is uncomfortable and that's where sometimes you know you do have somebody who comes away from a meeting and feels you know there is still stuff to be mopped up along mm -hmm. the way yeah. so a conflict journey you want as much of it to happen in the room with everybody there absolutely but very often people process things differently and you'll come away and some and we've learned to sleep over decisions to, to and that means it might be a night but it may well be a few weeks where we say look something's come into the room um it's very powerful we all think we're on board but let's give ourselves some weeks to process this because the next day or two days later someone wakes up with a sort of a disquietness over something and we need to keep the conversation going so again different personalities will struggle with that some people like they're jays they want closure right now whereas I, even though i am quite a high j mm -hmm. that appreciates closure i've learned over time that actually it's much healthier to wait go back to things open it up again look at it again let's let's and that that in itself is conflictual because it means we're we're not just going oh blah blah boom decision move forward yeah. it's we're, we're on a journey which is it's complex because we want to keep the team together because every member of the team matters and everybody playing their part matters to us everybody's valuable uh no one there is i don't I, you know, people say, oh, it's easy to replace, you know, no one's irreplaceable. Well, yes, I truly believe that God won't shortchange us when someone leaves to plant a church. But you can sometimes lose somebody for the wrong reasons off a team um, or someone, you know, just get fed up because you haven't managed the team dynamics well. So the, things do take time and you've got to be willing to go through very uncomfortable stages because people matter and their ideas and the best solutions are forged. Absolutely, and, and, and understanding that, you know, because we were talking about team building, the different things in the different gifts in the room. And, you know, sometimes, you know, something I've always respected about you is understanding what's in the room and, you, you know, what people bring and those different things. But yeah, I think because when there's lots of change going on, which all of us have got in our environments right now, that is the potential for conflict isn't that um you know, within the local churches and therefore just i think that's really i really like the ideological conflict relational conflict and thinking about those two two things slightly different of the how that decision works and that i've told you what i think in the yeah all of those things so thank you that's that's really helpful um over the years you you've planted lots of different churches uh a number of them sitting in this room um one of the one of the challenges, I guess, of planting churches uh, is is how you maintain 
momentum once you've released plants. Can you, would you mind just speaking into that for a moment? Yeah, I think the, the reality is that when you plant a church, there is loss. There, it's a bit like giving birth. There is pain, labor pains uh, and so on. There's loss for the sending church and there's pain, you know, there's pain all around in many ways sometimes. But the grace of God is upon it. This is his, you know, he just wants to us to reproduce, to multiply. It's on his heart to plant churches, to reach people in different areas. And so he's right on it. And his grace is sufficient. Even though you feel that loss, we have seen the Lord's provision. Now, in specifically, when you went, James, you were leading the youth, you took nearly all the youth leaders with you. And so our youth numbers dropped and suffered for two or three years. When Paul and Steph went, they were leading the discipleship year and the student ministry, amongst other things. And both of those were hit. So it's not without pain. It's not without loss when these things happen. But we have seen uh, coming back to what yeah, you just said about yeah. nobody's indispensable. The truth is, as we seek to simply obey what the Lord is saying, no one is indispensable. You think, how could we possibly survive without that person? Well, the Lord says, hey, it's okay. This is my will. I've called that person to go. There's sufficient evidence that that's the case. Just trust me and I will provide for you. And we have seen extraordinarily yeah, over the years yeah. his provision. Yeah. So I think... Um, you know, there's 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 a momentum moment of celebration when you let's say release uh, a church plant and all the people and the prophetic journey and and the stories and you know that's really exciting. But then you know we've had to make sure that the church that's left. Uh, we talk about the the goose that lays the golden eggs that you know don't kill off the goose don't don't the goose needs to feel valued and loved and this is the the goose that lays the eggs so we must take care of Trent Vineyard and and so therefore really important that at the same time as planting a church and celebrating the heroes that go we're also celebrating what Trent Vineyard is doing and you know for us they've been like every year we have a birthday celebration and we use that time to celebrate people within the church elevate uh, their stories their journey the things that that they've done we've had we, we have vision Sunday where uh, we want to just re-emphasize the vision the journey and a few years back we were at Saddleback um, with um, Rick Warren and a number of his staff. And we, we were asking this same question, um, how do you maintain momentum? And they actually gave us a great idea. Uh, every year they have what they call a new campaign. And now for us over the years, and when you're a new church plant, you have significant moments of you're releasing the kids ministry, or you're now releasing small group leaders, or you're now going into your first building, or you're now uh, building your first building, or, you know, for us, the Arches, which was our compassion ministry, has attained a, a property, we're going to do it up and we're going to, you know, so all these moments were momentum bringing and celebrating. But after a while, every ministry imaginable is happening in the life of the church. And what we began to realize is that we need something that, that the whole church can engage with that brings a sense of um, it, it, it re-emphasizes something that's really important to us that people can live out once again, but we're going to do it together. So it's not that you're inventing something from scratch, but for example, the year before we went into COVID, we had gone away with our senior team and a few others, and we'd imagined that we wanted to be a church that lived out acts 
Acts from Acts, we called it. And we said, everybody's going to get involved. We're going to have thousands of stories are going to come in. I think we might have even said 10,000 Acts from Acts or something. And we want just story after story pouring in of individuals living out Acts from Acts, healing stories, generosity stories, you know, loving your neighbor stories, all that sort of thing, as well as doing it in small groups or different projects within the church. So everywhere, kids were going to do it, youth were going to do it, students were going to do it. Well, flip me, we announced that vision and a month later we're in lockdown and the stories poured in. People lived out Acts from Acts and they started reaching out to their neighbours and all the things that in a sense lots of vineyards did, reaching out, we were living out the vision. That was our campaign mm. and the Lord had known it. So things like that, each year we've spent time to think what could be our campaign this year? Yeah. And um and then during COVID, the issue of race came up and that became actually not, we're going to really emphasize it this year, but we're going to live this out. This is going to become part of who we are. And so it was not just for this year, but, but you know, forever. We're going to get better and better at this. And, but again, that brought, brings a sense of momentum. Yeah, it's brilliant. And some of those the principles you mentioned, regardless of it being a church plant, apply throughout, don't they? You know, there'll be people who are listening leading small groups and looking at planting small groups it's a, it's yeah, a similar yeah. thing maybe a slightly yeah. different way but similar principles yeah absolutely yeah i think just on that one the the small group doesn't exist to be a reproducing your sow like a you know a poor reproducing female pig uh the small group exists to to worship together and to support each other and do life together and minister to each other and reach out to the community that's what it exists for and one of the things is a healthy small group is going to grow going to get too big for your lounge or wherever you're meeting and then you need to be developing leaders spotting people planting groups out it's going to reproduce healthy things do grow and ultimately reproduce um, as opposed to this is what we're about and it's the same for the church we've got vision for trent the people in trent feel we're not just reproducing church plants and having to let our favorite people go all the time you know pastors they've loved and have served with and been ministered to are going it can be a just a constant sense of loss we planted sometimes churches two in a year and it's like oh my, oh oh but actually no we're not just about that this is part of the fruit of what god is blessing in terms of the health and it's such a wonderful thing to be part of our church wouldn't it be wonderful if people in a different city could get a taste of this as we plant a church uh, by sending some of our best out yeah brilliant I wonder, just, uh, I realise time's running away from us. Is there maybe a final reflection you want to share or is there something we haven't asked you that, that is burning on your heart to share today? Uh, I think uh, in the moment we're in right now, COVID has clearly accelerated change. And there are a number of areas, some good, some bad, that it's accelerated. But this really is a reset moment for the world, uh, for us as a movement, for us as individuals, and uh, COVID has brought a great deal of upheaval and people in society are asking questions. We've seen that with people turning to online church or to praying or and so on. And, and the answer to most of those questions is, of course, the person of Jesus. And so I believe, we believe this is a great opportunity for the gospel. This is the greatest opportunity in our lifetime if we will press into the moment. And I love something that Ed Stetzer said on a previous version of this podcast when you interviewed him. God wants to use the moment we're in to focus us on the mission we're on. And so this is not a time to kind of be timid or to shrink back from our expectations. This call to be fruitful, to multiply individually, 
leading groups, ministries, sites, churches. We're on the Great Commission, and uh, this is a great time to really press into it and, and take risks and press into multiplication. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder, can I just share a few things and then would you guys be happy just to pray uh, over those maybe listening as well as we close? But I just want to point people in the direction of a, a few resources. Hopefully people have been stirred for multiplication, realised we're passionate as a movement about planting churches. There's numerous uh, articles and resources on the Vineyard Churches website, specifically on the Multiply section. You can sign up for monthly updates and resources. You can um, engage in a 15-minute conversation with a number of people who would like to walk with you on the journey of discernment. There are multiply regional coordinators who would like to follow up conversations with you. And also, to, just to mention, the next leading planting and pioneering event will be on the 16th of October, and we're going to be having Steve Nicholson join us. So we'd love you to join us for that. But John and Debbie, thank you. Thank you for your time, your wisdom and all that you've shared. I wonder, just by way of closing, if you'd be happy to pray with us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just sensing right now that it, you may well be listening to this and your heart is stirring. And I want to just uh, say, go with that, you know, re respond to that. And so, Holy Spirit, I welcome your presence right now. And uh, whichever point it is, whatever thing that we have said in this conversation that's been spoken out, that somebody on this call, that you are presently, you're resonating with it, we fan it into flame. We, we ask, Father, that you would um, ignite the fire, that you would stir this pot, Lord, that you would make this person listening so almost uncomfortable with, uh, with your stirring, that they would need to uh, listen further, uh, investigate, uh, have one of those 15-minute chats, uh, enter in a discerning process. And so I just want to just release those of you listening um, to just further on this journey of uh, what multiplication means for you. And if you're a present church leader, just wanting to be encouraged in this, we want to just bless you as well. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Just let the seeds of encouragement grow within you. Let the fruitfulness that is uh, so that the Lord has sown from the start in your heart, let it multiply and blossom and let it, let it come about and dreams dreams that the Lord has laid upon you, burdens that are from him in a, in a healthy sense, um, that are from him that, that you have yet to see happen. Uh, may the Lord's igniting and empowering be upon you and those that you lead in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Thank you.